Hi guys, a quick message. Inside the Groove, the Madonna Music Podcast has been nominated for a Queerty Award, the Queerties 2022, and now live. But I need you to vote. There's stiff competition from the Drag Race All-Stars, the Bald and the Beautiful, and heaps of other great queer podcasts. But oh, we need Madonna to win. We need to prove that Madonna and her music is still relevant in 2022. You can vote on each of your devices once a day, every day, up until February the 22nd. Just go to queerty.com forward slash queerties2022 and add your vote for Inside the Groove. Keep going back every day to vote and get on the forums, get on your socials, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, and tell other Madonna fans to vote for Inside the Groove at Queerties. Thank you so, so much. 2022 marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's first single. To commemorate this, Warners will be revisiting her back catalogue with selections curated by Madonna herself. For this series of Inside the Groove, I'm joined by industry experts, also Madonna fans, as we work through the singer's albums one by one, episode by episode, to discuss how they were created, what they achieved, and what we can expect from the upcoming re-releases. The Immaculate Collection Madonna's First Greatest Hits compilation was released on 13th of November 1990, not only cementing Madonna's status as the most successful solo artist of the 1980s, but repackaging and reworking her hits into a consistent and high quality product, which remains an unsurpassed work of art over 30 years later and has sold over 35 million copies to date. Featuring 15 of her biggest hits, all remixed by Shep Pettibone, along with two new tracks, the release is almost famous for the songs which ended up not making the cut, because she had such a wealth of material at the time. Tracks like Who's That Girl and True Blue may have been international number one hits, but there wasn't enough space to include them on this package, which had been inspired by Madonna's recent Blonde Ambition tour. The album's unique artwork features a stunning art direction, there's a lot to say about it, along with the incredible Herb Ritz photography shoot from a year before, originally taken to promote the tour, and I've got the lowdown on that too. The album features a new binaural music treatment called Q-Sound, which required the songs to be remixed to make the most of the technique, and I have the background on that. I'll also be paying special attention to one of the new songs on the album, Rescue Me, a firm fan favourite. Joined by music journalist and biographer Lucy O'Brien, fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price, and graphic designer Peter Falloon, we're going to give you the whole story behind Madonna's first greatest hits album and discuss what we might be able to look forward to in the upcoming reissue of this undeniable classic. So, sit back, relax. I'm sending out an SOS as we go inside the room. Today is 17th of December 2021 and it's exactly 31 years since Madonna and her Brits carried out one of their most successful photo shoots. The selection of pictures which would, almost a year later, adorn the cover artwork for The Immaculate Collection. 
As we reach the end of 2021, it's fitting that we reach the album which marked the end of Madonna's first imperial phase. And while she would go on to have much more success and increasingly more critical acclaim, the Immaculate Collection draws the line under the music she created in the 1980s, culminating in the incredible year of 1990. In the lead-up to the album's release, she had one of the biggest singles of her career, released a soundtrack album, released a movie plus another two singles, one of which went on to become the highest-selling home video release of the time. And of course, as well as one of the most memorable MTV VMA performances ever, she completed a 57-date tour across North America, Asia and Europe, which was known as Blonde Ambition. Eleven days after completing the final date at Star Charles Aman in Nice on the Côte d'Azur, France, Madonna was in the studio to record the song Justify My Love with Lenny Kravitz. Had she already planned to release a greatest hits collection? Well, we don't really know. In fact, we don't know a huge amount about the album, which is peculiar because, unlike most greatest hits, every song on it was remixed and refreshed. And these versions are, in some cases, markedly different to the familiar versions that we know. Blonde Ambition was such a step up from Madonna's previous world tour in 1987 and as you probably already know, it set a new benchmark for all the live shows for all the artists which were to follow. Beautifully captured in the movie Truth or Dare, we are seeing Madonna at her creative peak. But unlike many other stars, Madonna would have more and more peaks and it's a foolish man who writes her off even today. I've got Lucy O'Brien here. Lucy is the author of the brilliant book about Madonna, Like an Igon. 1990, what a year, so much going on. Um, Lucy, what can you what can you remember uh, about the tour? I, I do remember the Blonde Ambition tour. Again, it was, I'd seen the Who's That Girl tour and Blonde Ambition was um, scaled up. You know, it, it was drawing on many of the themes from Like a Prayer, and she conceptualised it. And I, I remember the stage sets being just incredible, like the huge arch of the church. <laughs> and again, you know, it, it really um, chimed with me being brought up a Catholic and the kind of the, the drama of that uh, and and the, the kind of the sense of those themes of guilt, of sin and shame, you know, she, she, she explored all of those themes throughout that show. So you had the contrast of the dark theatrical church set and then her doing her masturbatory scene, you know, <laughs> wearing her pink Gautier corset, which is really, you know, that was so mischievous and so empowering as well at the same time. So that the, the Blonde Ambition tour was just an extension of her developing as an artist. And so it wasn't surprising to me when in 1990 she came out with Justify My Love, mm. which was taking a lot of those sexual themes and themes around identity and gender and really played with them in, in a very elegant um, and provocative way in the video and the song, which is which is so evocative, and this was and the William Orbit remix is is just fantastic, you know. When we think about you know the role of the remix in Madonna's work, um, it, it's that's one of the most classic examples of a, of a fantastic remix. And then you, you know you 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 also get that with the Immaculate Collection. She's always been a real muse in a way for dance producers. 
And um, the Immaculate Collection is, is, is actually one of her best-selling albums of all time. And you can understand why, because it's, it's so upbeat and really captures that freestyle club culture that she came from. And, and we all love Into the Groove. <laughs> you know, that, that's, um, it's like she's, she's, so, she's in, in, encouraging everyone to just jump on the dance floor and join mm-hmm. her. And it's just really celebratory. Indeed. And thank you, Lucy. And I look forward to speaking to you more next year. Um, So what can I tell you, listeners, about the Immaculate Collection? Well, it was originally titled The Ultimate Collection, and we know this because a release was sent out to trade, which also gave a track listing of the songs in quite a different order, starting with Like a Virgin. Also, only one new track was listed, and it wasn't given a title, but we can assume it was Justify My Love, presumably, and I wish I knew more. Rescue Me was written and recorded much later. I'll come on to that a bit later. No doubt the title change happened when someone wittily realised it could be a pun on the Immaculate Conception. You'd be surprised how many people don't get that. The artwork for the album features images shot by photographer Herb Ritz, versions of which have been used on the cover for Keep It Together and in the talk book for Blonde Ambition. And again, I'll touch on that when I speak to Jonathan and Peter shortly. But what's particularly notable about the Immaculate Collection is that each song is remixed from the ground up. These mixes use a 3D spatial audio facility called Q-Sound, which places the individual elements in the mix at various points on a 3D axis. Now, for that to make a bit more sense, traditional stereo mixes put the elements either at the left or the right, or varying degrees in between. So what does 3D mean? Well, if you were to stand in a room with your eyes closed and someone else in the room clapped, you would be able to point out exactly where they were standing, in front of you, behind you, but you've only got two ears, so how is that? Well, the truth is that sound by your left shoulder will hit your left ear first before reaching the right ear a fraction of a second later. It's not just about which ear it's loudest in. We learn how to calculate that since we're children and, and we can work out you know, where the positions are. And, and what happens with Q sound is it uses delays and other dynamics to fake this. The remixes on the Macklet Collection were done by Shep Pettibone, Go Atoda and Michael Hutchinson and the Q sound effect is really subtle. The song that uses it the most, I think, is Vogue and in order to experience it you need to properly set up and accurately phase your speakers to, and have them in a certain point in your room. But it still works with decent headphones and a little bit of imagination. So aside from the need to remix the songs into Q-Sound, why else were so many of them changed for the Immaculate Collection? Well, of course, the first and foremost reason is to keep this down to a single CD and by proxy just a double LP. By this point in her career, Madonna could have easily included many additional songs that had been hits. So having decided to keep that running time under 75 minutes, some had to go. It does feel really strange not to include big songs such as Angel and True Blue. You know, these have been massive hits. But some of them were kept quite short as well. I think Cherish is the one that's quite extensively edited. But what about Like Prayer and Express Yourself? They're radically different from the release versions. Well, I think it's because of Blonde Ambition. And when Madonna performed these songs on tour, they were based on Shep's house mixes of both those songs. And then for whatever reason, it was decided to retain those arrangements. Maybe it was Shep himself that made that choice. After all, he also included his additional production on Into the Groove and was not going to bring the scissors to Vogue either. As for the missing songs, were any of them remixed? We don't know. Maybe we might find out when this album gets a reissue. When I interviewed Tony Shimkin, he was unable to answer that question with any certainty, but thought it was unlikely that there was anything lurking in the vaults. 
So let's talk about the album's artwork. I'm here now with Jonathan and Peter once more. Jonathan, this set of pictures taken 31 years ago today. It's yet another Herbert shoot. So yes, continuing this long-term collaboration with the incredible Herberts. She has included a number of images in this, which I devoured when I bought the vinyl at first, because you obviously get these large format prints on the sleeves of the inserts to the vinyl, which I absolutely love. You know, here we see once again, Madonna in an entirely new look. She's got this black wig and she's dressed almost like a showgirl. It's it, the hair is gelled down and they're all in black and white. And we get this feeling of seeing behind the scenes of what it is to be a star. She's doing makeup herself in a mirror and you see her in a men's toilet, which I absolutely love the playfulness of that. And, and again, in the last episode, I mentioned the, the seeing this hand, this Madonna hand for the first time with her twisted fingers. And we see this once again on the inside of the double LP with her fingers sort of dramatically twisted and wearing the black and white polka dot top, which I think is probably the same one that's worn during holiday on the Blonde Ambition tour. What I love about the series of photographs is it's further cementing her as this classic artist with staying power. You know, you've got this album of, of a body of work, which is made in a relatively short period of time for greatest hits, which is packed full of hits, needless to say, leaving off even more great hits. And so the artwork really is, is a way of showing this is an artist with staying power and this body of work is significant. What I think these photographs sort of remind me of, and, and they might be a reference to, is some Richard Avedon photography from the 1960s. He did quite a few theatre and Hollywood actor backstage dressing room portraits. He has a book called Performance, which came out recently, and you can see some of them in that. It reminds me particularly of, of his photographs of the dancer Rudolf Nureyev. How do you say his name? Rudolf Nureyev. 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 Rudolf Nureyev. <laughs> however you say his name, um, from the early 1960s. I think it's like 62, something like that. And, and for me, that time period of photography as well with black and white, the 50s and 60s in America, because it was such a booming economy, is what we consider to be the most classic portrait photography, which still can have a somewhat contemporary feeling because it's so timeless. And, and, and this is done perfectly here. So again, we get these dense blacks and white whites, which are printed so beautifully. What I also find interesting in this is that the images are often quite soft. And so by that, I mean slightly out of focus, which is something that Herb does a lot in his work with Madonna. On the back cover, you can see that the focal point is actually her shoulder. So her face is slightly soft, which I love because of the contrast. So it's the, the blacks are so dense that you almost get this, uh, well, a graphic effect of the black against the white. I have a feeling that this is probably a more formal set up so so this would be with a tripod a larger format camera perhaps and yeah it's it's an you can see the formality in in the way the images are are taken what i find really interesting about the use of this photo shoot is it was at the time a year old mm -hmm. the photography was taken to promote the upcoming tour which considering the tour became called blonde ambition the fact that she's brunette either with the short wig on or her natural brown bulb at the time makes me wonder if the tour was always called Blonde Ambition, if that was an afterthought anyway. But it's very unusual, and I don't know if either of you got the answer. We can certainly ponder on it, why they used a photo shoot that was a year old for the Immaculate Collection. 
bearing in mind that as we'll talk about the justify my love cover, there was a more up-to-date photo shoot that they could have used. I have thought about that before and I feel like it might be the timeless quality of it and the fact that it doesn't necessarily scream blonde ambition by the time that name is created. So, you know, I was reflecting on this, this time period that images are taken and the time period in which the album is released. And probably from a, from a record label point of view, rather than Madonna, you're positioning this against artists like Fleetwood Mac that released their greatest hits, I think the year before, and, you know, maybe 10 years prior, one of the biggest selling greatest hits of all time is the Eagles. And if you look at her early career in which she's seen as a sort of flash in the pan, potentially, or a one hit wonder. And by the time this comes out in less than a decade's worth of work, positioning her against these big rock acts from the seventies, she stands up. It stands up. We now know over time, looking at it, that this work is still considered very high quality, but being released at the time it was, you could have thought maybe her career wouldn't have continued after this. And so the photographs for me feel like this linking again in the same way that she does with Vogue lyrically and in the visuals of her being akin to a Hollywood performer, you know, someone who is a classic American legend who will be known for a long period of time. We've gone from having her cover on the face to having just her midriff and not having a face to having not even a photograph of her on the face, Peter, but it's, it, it's a very dumb, it's a very impressive cover. It's interesting that Jonathan just talked about the Fleetwood Mac album from, I think it was 89, you're right, which is quite a similar feel. It's different color. It's a green color, uh, color. And I'm sure that wasn't what went through Madonna's head when she did this. What are your thoughts on the design? Because I know you're a fan of that, mm-hmm. that whole graphic. I, yeah, it's, I mean, any time that an album cover can just be a graphic, it's kind of incredibly arresting. I think. It was a good mistake. I'm kind of chuffed that the album didn't end up being a compromise with the photo on the back and then the graphic sort of made small, which I think actually ended up being the video collection, like the, the DVD that was the, the cover, how mm-hmm. I think it was envisaged originally. Supposed to look originally, yeah. I, I think it, how, <laughs> she's a chameleon of pop. There's no one image that sums up Madonna, but somehow this emblem does. And I think this is where we started getting the connotations of Queen of Pop. So they've given mm. her a monarchy and a royalty and we're her subjects. And I just love that. It's graphically, all of a sudden, they're, they're putting her in this powerhouse position. And I don't know that you can do that through a photo. And by eliminating her visual, we're sort of doing what the podcast does. You have to think about the music. What is in here is an album of music. And it's talent and brilliance and cleverness and quirkiness. And it's done so, so well in this symbol. It's, it feels heraldic. It feels historic. It feels established. But then I do, I love the fact that she then went on and fed it into like the Royal box, which was the deluxe edition of it. So I think it, it, it has that gravitas and it does say greatest hits. It's gold. And I, I think the blue is really unusual. It's not a color that I would ever choose to work with. I would feel it was insipid, but it just plays off the gold beautifully. And I, again, think you can see a female hand in it. It's the same collaboration. It's Jerry Hyden again, and she worked with her husband on this one together. I'd love the fact that it's just simple and clean. And I think in the previous episode, I'd alluded to my Catholic upbringing. I never got the pun. I didn't get it until I was much older. And I think 
I was sat on a bus or something one day and it just fell into my head and I was like, oh my God, that title is incredible. <laughs> it's the Immaculate Collection. It's so ballsy to like be able to put that moniker on your work. It, the, and to be honest, there's not a bad track on there. So why wouldn't you say this? But yeah, in terms of like a vision that she had and something that she could see as a package of her greatest work, I think trying to sum it up with an image was never going to work. And you see it replicated now. It's, it, it's the gold seal, the standards. It's, it's how somebody does a great sits package. And I don't, I, the, the ones that followed on from it, so GHV2 Celebration, they're both clever, but I don't think either of them have the gravitas that this does. Mm. I mean, it's, is it seven, eight years of work that this mm. contains? It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful album cover from a graphic designer's point of view. The only, the only tiny quibble that I have is I don't like her name being in uppercase and lowercase. She's mm. Madonna and this <laughs> is her greatest hits. And it just feels like the, the name's a bit too cursive. But other, other than that, I think it's phenomenal. And the way that she sort of carried the whole look through the campaign, we were really lucky in the UK that we got all of the singles to match. So like the the following singles that were released off the album all fell into this beautiful typography and like this really strong branding. And I think there's a run of singles on that album cover. To me, it's like her, fa it's my favorite of her discography. You can mm. see that there's, a con and it was able to be done because it, it was the greatest hits of songs that we were already familiar with. Two of them were re-released. The other two just beautifully fitted into this regal look and feel and every single cover had that same beautiful white space, beautiful image of her. I think from a, a graphic designer's point of view, what they were able to do was just carry that across. Unfortunately, the, the last single that a designer ever got their name on was Justify My Love. From that point mm. on, no one ever got photographers. They still get a little shout out, but um, Jerry Hyden's name fell off everything from this point onwards, which is a bit of a shame. Mm. Can we talk about the Justify My Love cover. Um, Jonathan, what do you know about that session and the photographer? So again, the Justify My Love artwork is photographed by Patrick de Marchelier, who we saw work with her on I'm Breathless album cover. And this time, I absolutely love the work that they did together. This is one of these images which has real staying power. You know, it's, it's become an, a word that I, I try not to use too often, although it's very easy to, iconic Madonna image. In the literal sense, it is a symbol of, of her in this period. And there's two looks that I have found from this same shoot. One is the Justify My Love single cover, where she is uh, really embracing the gay community connotations of her as a biker. It's, uh, she's got the leather waistcoat on and a biker hat and a, and a cigarette in her mouth with these freshly pumped lips that look just divine. It's one of my favorite images ever taken of Madonna. And then I think from the same shoot, there is one in which she is embracing that blonde bombshell. She's got loose curls and she's wearing a sort of diamond encrusted bodice and has the soft wavy hair looking a bit like Jean Harlow, something like that. So, so that's, yeah, that's mainly from, from that shoot. It's interesting what Peter was saying about there isn't one image or maybe Jonathan, it was here, I'm not sure. There isn't one image that sums up Madonna. That second uh, look that you're talking about, to me, is ultimate Madonna. I agree. Uh, you know, she just, 
I often think about, I don't often think about, but you, you think of what might be an image of somebody uh, or even oneself when they die that represents them. And to me, that is the ultimate Madonna picture. It's well, I agree. And she replicates this look uh, in different incarnations throughout her career, obviously, but it comes up again quite soon in the following couple of years when she works with Stephen Mizell on the sex book, which of course we'll talk about in the next episode. But it's truly this bombshell, which could so easily fall into the overly referential or pastiche version of what she's referencing, but actually really makes it her own. And I would imagine if you'd asked anyone of the general public what their image of Madonna would be, that's, that's the sort of image that would come to their mind. Just for my loved one, it's sort of, I've always felt that it's a little bit Marlon Brando as well. And mm. I love the gender messing of it. The, I love it when she's masculine. And the fag hanging out of the mouth and the, uh, the sexual connotation of Marlon Brando, I find that really intriguing. It's sexual, but in a way that speaks to boys more than girls, I think. Mm. It reminds so, me a lot of Tom of Finland. Yeah. Yes, it's got, it's got that look. Um, now, this is an interesting story, and you don't know how much this is a, a legend rather than the truth. So they had completed the shoot in the sort of golden crusted bodice, and Madonna mm. then got changed ready for a party, and that was her outfit the leather mm. and he called her back and said hang on we need photos of that i don't know if that's true but that's that's a lovely idea uh <laughs> she was actually looking that amazing to go to a party in in 1990 i'd like to believe it and also i love about this time period of her is that she is still connected to a nightlife so you can completely believe that she would be on her way out to join friends and go out dancing and it's such a beautifully clean typeset image as well with the two simple colors yeah, it's incredibly arresting. It, it falls into the same thing that we said about Vogue earlier in the previous episode. This graphic design being clean and simple, we sort of realized that you didn't need to throw all the bells and whistles at it and that just because you could digitally add anything you wanted to, this, isn't, this is like a real exercise in like taking what the photographer's giving you and just putting the punctuation on it. And just the choice of the yellow, it, it just lifts it doesn't seem connected to anything, but it just seems like it's the right color. And the thing that they do on the back is just show the same image, but then connect it differently in the way they align the type. Mm. But yeah, from this era, like being able to look at the, the B sides, the, the back cover of all the singles, they've all got like a real super clean, cool look to it. Interesting. And of course, we talk about how you've got the beautiful, clean look of Justify My Love, the beautiful, clean look of Vogue, and we're forgetting the fuchsia tiger print of Hanky Panky in between. Oh, God, yeah. We didn't talk mm. about that, did we? But that, that's, that's probably for the express. best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fuchsia tiger print, there's the thought. Oh. Rescue Me was the second of two new tracks to feature on the Immaculate Collection, with the intention that the new material would help to boost sales. I'd love to tell you lots of interesting facts about the song, but the truth is, there's very little info out there. Mainly the details that are listed in the Immaculate Collection artwork, which state the names of the peoples that worked on it, the three backup singers and the studios where it was recorded. But the multi-track is never leaked, and the only additional info I can find is from J. Randy Tabarelli's book, which states that Madonna never planned for it to be released as single. Well, J. Randy's book isn't always very reliable, so nothing can be certain. But let me tell you a little bit of what I do know. 
Whether it was intended as a single or not, plans to promote the release as a single weren't properly cemented, and there was no coherent global plan or even a video. Now, this seems crazy looking back, and it seemed pretty crazy at the time. I can't underplay just how hugely popular Madonna was at the time, and for younger fans, it's probably very difficult to imagine that Madonna was the most famous and celebrated woman in the world. Whilst 1990 saw the start of a backlash towards her following her raunchier projects, she was still the number one pop star in a way that you can only compare her to somebody like Ariana Grande or Taylor Swift today. Madonna had been a game changer, both equally highbrow and lowbrow, and this was a time when celebrities were less accessible. Rescue Me was a very strong song at a time when the public could just not get enough of her. In the US, it was released as a single on 23rd of February 1991. In the US, it was released as a single on 23rd of February 1991. And that's a pretty swift turnaround, which does lead me to question the idea that the release hadn't been planned, especially as it came with a huge number of remixes from Shep Bettybone, four discrete versions, each including a dub mix, which got released in various territories. The track reached number nine on the Billboard singles chart, not bad considering the lack of promotion, and the song actually debuted at number 15, becoming the highest debuting single on Billboard Hot 100 by a female artist at the time. In the UK, Madonna's company stalled on the release and instead decided to re-release Crazy For You. It was a gamble that paid off, and this remix of the song, albeit very similar to the original production, reached number two in the chart. Its combined sales, along with the 1985 version, topped 750,000, making it her biggest-selling British single at the time. Confusingly, the cover photo for Crazy For You release in the UK was the same as the Rescue Me one in the US and Japan. So when the song was finally released in Great Britain in mid-April, an alternative cover was used. This time, they used shots from the Jean-Baptiste Mondino shoot taken during Madonna's Bronze Ambition tour in June 1990. Back to a spotlight, as it had been in the US, the song reached number three on 20th of April 1991. As the rights to the Blonde Ambition Tour were tied up at the time, a video was cut using footage from the 1987 Who's That Girl World Tour. And I can clarify that as a 21-year-old at the time, if it wasn't frustrating enough not to have a proper video for the single, the Who's That Girl montage looked pretty old-fashioned, especially as the editor had attempted to match some of the dance moves and even some of the lip-syncing to an extent. A neater idea might have been to use selective footage from Madonna's back catalogue, but given that this had already been done in order to create a PG version of the Justify My Love video, the idea was not followed up. All in all, a confusing release strategy for a very strong song which, due to the fact that Madonna has never performed it in live in full, has given the song almost a mythological status and left us almost forgotten. Again, I can recall how me and my Madonna crazy fans just absolutely love Rescue Me and here we are 30 years later and I'm still fuming that it never got a proper release. But what of its origin? Well, we don't know very much, as I said, beyond the facts that exist. In an interview with Tony Shimkin on this podcast, he recalls some of the details around the difficulty of mixing it in Q sound and how the intro, the heartbeat and the thunder was lifted from a BBC sound effects records. But we don't really know how it all came about. Whether it was instigated by Madonna's label, or her, or Shep, I think it would be safe to assume that it was an attempt to see if the magic that produced Vogue could be recreated, and perhaps by combining it with the gospel choir elements of Like a Prayer, it's a rare example, I believe, of Madonna deliberately attempting to make a hit song. As I said, Madonna has never performed the song live. But back in 2019, when she was promoting Madame X, Billboard asked her if she would consider it. Your love has given me hope, 
to quote myself, she said, proving that she still remembers the lyrics after all these years. In fact, in July of 2019, she posted some rehearsal footage of her performing the song along with some backup singers. However, it never made it in that version onto the Madame X tour. Instead, the spoken lyrics were used as an interlude. So maybe, maybe, who knows? One day Madonna might perform it, and who knows if the upcoming re-releases will include the Immaculate Collection, and perhaps there may be some gems around Rescue Me that we don't know about. We shall see. It's been quite a journey in this series, looking at what we can expect from Madonna's upcoming re-releases, and soon we will be there in 2022. Who knows when we're going to get the first record. Madame X, the live version, was of course the first release under the new contract with Warner's. Are we going to go back to the first album? Are we not going to get them in a chronological order? Well, we shall see. Obviously, Inside the Groove is going to be back, starting with Erotica, covering the rest of Madonna's albums, doing the deep dives. It's going to be a little bit of a break. Patrons will be getting those new episodes sooner. But for the rest of you, you have to hold on. I have a, I have a life, believe it or not, to get on with as well. Um, but I'm really looking forward to you joining me, Lucy, Peter and Jonathan as we carry on our journey and go even further inside the groove. 